Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a wide-ranging conversation with the writer Carrie William Purcell. For the designers listening, you might know Carrie as the biographer for designers like Alexei Brodovich and Joseph Mueller Brockman, but he's written about topics as diverse as film, photography, politics, and philosophy. Design is really just one strand of his interest, and he's actually always been hesitant to call himself a design historian. And in this episode, we talk about that. We talk about how he by chance really found himself writing designer biographies and why he wants to kind of distance himself from that that early work now. We talk about the intersection of design and philosophy, the role of design history, and why he sees design as a way to examine these sort of larger questions of the world. You know, Kerry really approaches design writing in the way that we talk about on the podcast all the time. He sees design as a type of cultural artifact that we can use to learn about history, about culture, about politics, about ourselves. I think this type of critical looking is very fascinating, and Carrie's truly a master at it. I had so much fun in this conversation. Carrie's great to talk to, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year. When you become a member, you get an exclusive monthly newsletter that reflects and expands on the themes of the podcast, shares news and events about previous guests, and previews upcoming episodes. When you become a member, you help support the ongoing production of the podcast and help keep it going. I truly appreciate all of your support, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Carrie William Purcell. written about everything from photography to film to design, philosophy, politics, criticism, kind of a really wide range of subjects. And I'm, I, <laughs> this is a big question. I'll try to condense it a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in how somebody begins that career, how someone starts doing that. Were you interested in those subjects and found that writing was the way into that were you interested in writing kind of how how did your interest begin um well my um first degree was in sociology Hmm. um and that was a situation which is quite common where when i was studying over here uh called a levels when i was studying for my a levels um in the uk a particular teacher um, really brought the subject of sociology to life for me. And uh, and it was one of those situations when, um, you know, I just thought, right, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, I'll do that. I'll do sociology. Yeah, it really interests yeah. me. So I went to do sociology at university. And then <laughs> as I was doing sociology, one of the modules on the course um, was looking at um, um, art, uh, sort of the, the theory, art theory, but more to do with the sociology of art. And um, it was while I was doing that module in my final year that I it sort of opened uh, doors for me and um, things started to click. And I mean, sort of backtracking slightly, when I was doing my A-levels, I used to finish my lessons at the local college. And then I used to walk over to the art college and just sit in the library okay. looking at oh, art monographs. Um, and I used to do that like three or four times a week, every night. Oh, wow. Just as a sort of process of self-education. 
because um, I was interested. So when I did this module in my uh, degree in sociology on art, I thought, okay, this is something I really want to uh, pursue. So when I came to do my postgrad, uh, I, I did a uh, master's in visual cultural theory, mm. which at the time was being taught by a group of uh, professors who were closely associated or were involved in the founding of the a journal um, called Radical Philosophy magazine. Mm -hmm. And um, people like Peter Osborne um, were teaching a lot of the modules on this MA in visual cultural theory. So it was, it was very philosophical, uh, very continental, a lot of continental philosophy. That really, um, again, fascinated me. When I left, um, I went off in a slightly different direction <laughs> when I was doing my... Tell me, tell me to stop if we can stop. Oh, no, keep going. This is so interesting to me. Okay. When I was doing my last year of my master's, um, I did a project on... There's a, a working class uh, film and photography collective in the UK, in the northeast of England, called um, Amber, Amberside. And I did an mm -hmm. institutional project as part of my MA on this collective and they were set up in the late 60s um, and they would work with local working class communities making films and also enabling them to make films of them for themselves so it wasn't just they were dropping in they were establishing um, uh, groups within working class communities to give them the skills to make films about their own lives mm. and um, I did that project I went up to Newcastle stayed with them really influential for me so when I left my MA I decided to do a PhD in looking at how working class life had been transformed during the Thatcher years um, and, and specifically looking at how film had represented those changes. Hmm. It was while I was doing that, um, that um, a famous uh, feminist historian called Sheila Rothbotham uh, approached me and said, would I like to write an essay on this subject I'm doing my PhD on uh, for a book that's coming out? Um, okay. And that, that came out was called Looking at Class, came out in 2000. And I wrote an essay about this very subject of the transformation of working class life and its representation in British film. When I wrote the essay, I thought, actually, that's all I want to do. I don't want to spend enough time <laughs> yeah. doing yeah, yeah. this. So um, I decided to stop the PhD. And um, around the same time I was doing, doing the PhD, I started working at the Photographer's Gallery in London. Okay. Which is major. It was the. It was actually the first photography gallery to be set up in the UK in 1971, and I was running the archive at the gallery. And it was while I was working there um, that I would be helping researchers find material. And it was a real apprenticeship for me working in the photographer's gallery. I was learning about the history of photography and all the all the type of details, and um, I was very much sort of au fait with the theories and ideas surrounding, surrounding visual culture. But in terms of the nuts and bolts of the history of photography, I wasn't so much. So it was a real apprenticeship um, doing that. And then it was while I was doing that, that a colleague came to me and said, I'm really interested in this, in this person. He keeps coming up um, uh, with uh, in my research. And, and I said, yeah, I know this person as well. I keep seeing his name crop up. And that was Alexei Brodovich. <laughs> and... Um, and he said, oh, let's make a film about him. So I said, OK, let's make a film about him. So we got in touch with all of his old students, people like Richard Abaddon, Lillian Bassman, Hero, Ted Croner, all those type of people. We went to New York, we interviewed them all, and then we basically sort of ran out of money, and that was it. It sort of stopped. Um, 
and then it was through that or having all that material which i still have i still have all these audio recordings of the people that many of them have now passed away um and um i approached a magazine called baseline in the uk and said would you be interested in doing an article on alexi brodovich i have loads of material and they were like yeah so i wrote an article I wrote an article. It sounds remarkably easy, but it wasn't. Right, right, yeah, I know. It sounds like it was just like, you know. Um, and then they said, yeah, so I wrote an article, a very short article about, about Brodovich. And then Fiden Press saw the article. They approached me and said, would you like to write a monograph about him? And mm. I thought, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> um, of course, I was, how old was I then? 29, 28. Okay. And, and I thought wow, this is a real opportunity. Uh, I can't let this go by. So I did. Um, and I subsequently look back at that book now um, quite critically. And um, it did get a few negative reviews from a few people. And I sort of partly agree with some of the things they say mm. because I was sort of learning on the job, um, right. I think, with that book. But then soon, like like in life, you know, a lot of the time someone says, you know, how did you get to this place? And it wasn't through some kind of conscious, willful choice. It was just a series of <laughs> <Right>. fortuitous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It wasn't, I was setting out to be, just write about design history. So I did that book and then um, they offered me another one, which was on Herbert right. Matter, oh, right. which I did write. It's about a 60, 70,000 word book. But that, and this is, this is a story in itself with the Herbert Matter. I traveled to the US, to Yale and to different parts, interviewing people and gathering material. Also to, to Zurich to interview people and to look at the archives there and finish the book. And then fired and got in touch with me and said, oh, Herbert Matter's son doesn't want to work with us anymore. Therefore, we're not publishing wow. the book. Wow. Uh, oh, we can't because he has copyright control over his father's work. Um, that sort of dragged on for a few years and in the time that was dragging on they said well, do you want to write another book on, on Joseph Muller Brockman and I was like okay I'll do that and um, I did use a little bit of the material from the Matter book in the yeah. Muller Brockman not much but yeah. a few sections and I reworked them particularly around the issue to do with Switzerland and Swiss culture and, um, and then suddenly when that book was published uh, I was sort of seen right. as a design historian. Right. I've, I've spent the past, you know, fifteen years trying to unpick and uh, and say I'm not a design historian. I'm certainly not in any shape or form, even though that's what my job title says where I where I teach. And um, but it, what was interesting because of my background within film, within type of uh, critical theory, within philosophy, within photography, I felt I was in quite a unique position to critique design from a sort of an outsider perspective mm -hmm. and i very much saw design as just one more sort of jumping off point for discussing ideas right it could be film it could be photography it could be anything i mean really with my sociological background i mean it could be football you know it could be <laughs> yeah absolutely anything which um I could, you know, engage with, which I, I bring certain theoretical ideas um, to right. bear. And so that's the sort of short, you know, narrative of, of how I got to the position <laughs> do, doing those yeah. works. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting. And you, you set up a bunch of the questions that I had in that answer. So I appreciate that. I, I kind of want to go back to something that you said very early on about 
how you were kind of going to the art college and just sitting in the library and kind of studying that also. Yeah. Because I, th I think that connects to something that you just said about how you saw and see design as a way to talk about ideas. And you can kind of use these design objects to talk about ideas. And that's the sense that I got from your writing and even hearing you talk about this now that you were interested in art and photography, film, design, all of these things, not just on an aesthetic level, not just on an object or material level, but also what they say about culture, about society, about class. Um, would you say that, would you, would you agree with that? Or and can you kind of talk a little more about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, and one of the things I say to my students when I first meet them is that I have no interest in design, uh, <laughs> okay. which sort of takes them back because they've just, just signed up for a three-year design course. Um, right. I say I have no interest in design. Um, what I'm interested in is what design can communicate, what, what right. it can engage with. What's the, the idea with a big capital I? What's the idea here? What are you attempting to do? If that idea is just to sell more crap, then I'm not particularly interested. Right, um, right. And... So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, obviously there's an, ins, an aesthetic enticement and an aesthetic mm -hmm. seduction, which initially may pique an interest and want you to explore more. Um, I accept that. And there is, um, you know, there is sort of an ideology of aesthetics, uh, conceptual examination mm -hmm. of aesthetics, um, which is, you know, interesting in itself as a question of, you know, the sort of, philosophy of form the philosophy of the politi politics of form which I, I you know I appreciate um but it's very much about okay and the older I've got I've sort of realized that there are particular themes which certain objects will um um sort of connect to to, to me I'll, I'll be drawn towards them mm. um and again that could be film it could be uh photography um yeah, I mean, in those days when I was spending time in the library, there was a sort of cultural anxiety about that as well, because I'm from a working class background. I left school pretty much with virtually no qualifications. And um, I was thinking, OK, there was a sort of cultural cachet or cultural capital associated right. with fine art and um, which I felt... I had an interest in it. I had an initial interest, but I felt deeply insecure about my knowledge of it. So after I'd done my politics and sociology and uh, communication theory A-levels, I would then go and uh, spend time in this art college library, um, which is no longer there. But I would spend time in this art college library in the northeast of England and just sit there flicking through books, looking at stuff, you know, writing down names. It was just a desire and a curiosity to know more about this um um and I, so what, I, it wasn't something which was at, i didn't have that type of exposure that, that that type of work at home um it just wasn't that type of you know place my father um and my mother and my sisters all worked within the fishing industry and it just it wasn't a, there wasn't that type of discussion um right. they gave me something else which i subsequently realized um which wasn't necessarily that aesthetic education but it's more of a political vision a political mm. outlook on the world they certainly gave me that and um so yeah so a lot of it sort of that's where it comes from in a way when 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 you say to your students that you don't have an interest in design necessarily and that you're kind of interested in ideas or what design can communicate uh 
how do your students react to that? And like, how, how, how do they, do they come along with well, you on that journey? Yeah, well, some do, some don't. Um, some there, some of theirs just cause they, it's literally like, wow, this looks really cool. And that's about it. Right. Um, now I teach, uh, at the university of Hertfordshire, I teach on the critical and contextual, um, type of st- studies, um, uh, module. And, uh, that's where they have to th- engage with, uh, ideas they have to write they have to do research they have to mm. present in, in okay. class okay. so it's i'm not teaching in the studio i'm teaching in i, I mean i'm trying to I, I try many ways through different projects and the assignments i set to get them to think critically visually so they don't just sort of ghettoize the essay writing bit as oh that's that part of the course and the stuff i really right. want to do is right. in the right. studio right. Yeah. Yeah. so i do try and set projects so in the recent uh, recent past I did a project with, um, there's a museum in London called the Migration Museum, and I did a project where they had to produce a poster uh, addressing the issue of what does migration mean in the, in the UK today. And mm. so it's getting them to think about ideas such as migration and, um, you know, the other and all these type of critical concepts, but to think about how they can visualise that. Um, so I do, so when I say I'm not interested in design, it's really trying to get them to think you know what's what's the driver in their work what is it and what I also say to them is that ultimately what interests me about them is not that they're students it's what they bring into the room and you know they can be you know we have uh, students who are brothers and sisters and girlfriends and boyfriends and neighbors and fans and supporters and collectors and um, you know, gamers or whatever they, whatever drives them, whatever is a, a key part of their identity, I say to them, look, you shouldn't discount that. That's possibly the most interesting and valuable thing for you. Is yeah. is that is something which maybe on the surface you think is not relevant to your education? And I say to them, look, the older you get, the more you realise that actually the most useful thing and the most um, sort of inspiring fruitful thing for you can be often be right on your doorstep you don't (laughs) you don't have to go miles away you don't have to um um i think and the thing is often because of the way of education students are are often chasing grades and they then get caught up in that system where they're trying to meet particular um, learning outcomes or things that they feel that they, sh- they should be doing in a university. Right. And and I always try to say to them, look, no, that is possibly the most boring thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm more interested in, in what they can bring about themselves and about their relations and about their history and their experiences and what, what if they can bring those into the room and bring those into their work, um, then it can make for a more exciting, you know, a more exciting dynamic and experience. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I'm I'm curious how how you kind of take that philosophy and apply that to writing a biography. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and you know, where you come in in that, you know, yeah. like you know, how much of it is the story versus kind of your interests and your angle? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll be I'll strictly honest with you, um, and this this is this is probably where the interview will end for you. <laughs> is that? You know, I'm I'm 28 years old, and a major publisher like Fiden comes to me and say, "Do you want to write a book about this person?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, Alex Brodovich, really fascinating guy. His life is like some kind of Hollywood movie. It's it's ridiculous what he went through and and the type of character he was and 
and the circles that he mixed in in New York. And it was re- just a fascinating story. And I was really drawn to it. Uh, and the work, obviously, and uh, and I was coming to it because I was working at the Photographer's Gallery. I was coming at it very much through photography. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the thing that that was the hook for me. Now, when I moved from that to Herbert Matter, that was very much still photography. Um, right. But there was obviously the design element. When I was offered the Muller Brockman book, I sort of looked at that and I thought, OK, right. This is a different this is a different beast altogether. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. um but I it was very much about the um I was very seduced by the narrative and about the research process and actually constructing this narrative. Um I wouldn't say there was a massive passion for design there when I was doing that book. And you know what? I mean, again I refer to me being like twenty seven. When you're that young and you someone I said, Do you want to write a book? And you know, you're signing on the dole. Uh, in yeah. Br- in Brighton, not earning very much money, and someone says, yeah. "Do you want to do this?" Yeah. You know, you sort of snap the hand off, and I did, and uh, <laughs> right. I had very little income. I was I was doing um, working part time at the photographer's gallery, and uh, and then that was given to me, and I suddenly had to pretend that I was this accomplished, confident writer, and uh, I wasn't um, apart from my degrees. So it was, you know. Uh, it, it it was a type of um, a, a moment which, like I said earlier, you make these type of steps in your life and yeah. you suddenly realise that you go down this particular road. And uh, yeah, um, and I, I think in some ways, I, I'm, a, I'm a visual cultural theorist um, with a strong interest in philosophical thought. And I've been attempting since I wrote those books, I think, to try and... Um, re- try and I don't know turn the boat around a bit and try and say okay actually I should have been going this way and not that way now that's not to discount what I do and what I've done and what I continue to do with students it's just for it's, I suppose it's to do with my own identity and about reshaping and rethinking who I actually am and and also when you as you know when you start doing something and you become known for that thing people right. then come to you asking you to do similar things uh, and before you know it, you're just doing that and you're known as that person and you sort of stop one day and look around and think, how did I get here? Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not this person. And uh, so, yeah, you know, it's... Um, I don't feel like I've answered any of your questions, but um, it's... Yeah, it's convoluted. It's complicated. Yeah. Well, well, let me, you know, maybe let me ask like a slightly different question. Um that I, that I think is interesting and in kind of what you're saying and talking about like, you know, you're not, you're not saying you're not disowning those books in any way, but you're saying that, that you, you feel like you have changed or that your perception has changed. And, and you, you said you were kind of trying to turn the boat around. What does that look like to you? Or like, well, what, what is it about those that you're now kind of looking at in retrospect and that you would have done differently? Um, well, you know what? I partly am disowning those books. Okay. Um, I, part of me does. Okay. And um, okay. I have a quite a cavalier attitude. I mean, I I don't have a single copy of anything I've ever done in the house. Um, oh, interesting. I, I just give them all away. I mean, I just, once I've done something, I couldn't, uh, you know, even to the point when I've been given, when I've done something for a book and they'll send me the layouts to read for errors, I won't even read them. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say, yeah, fine. And, and send them back and send them I back. I love that. Yeah. Um, I just have this quite cavalier attitude to to things that I've done, and um, 
so I wouldn't. Yeah, I'm not totally disowning them because uh, it was a time and a place, and a lot of effort went into them, and I enjoyed them, and uh, I met some interesting people, and and things are still coming out of them now. So, for instance, with the Brodovich, I'm currently or have been doing for so many years. It's dragging on, but working with the Museum for Gestaltung in Zurich, uh, Design Museum in Zurich, doing a Brodovich exhibition there, which should be opening in a year or so. Um, so oh, I'm nice. still doing stuff off the back of it, and and happily so, but. I think when I'm sort of thinking about moving forward, um, I give those books and anything I've done, you know, like that, I just don't hold it very highly for me. I just yeah. think, okay, that was done, you know, and I don't really want to see it again. And uh, um, and suddenly I start getting emails from people uh, like I'm the Brodovich expert asking me <laughs> stuff about, oh, where, right. where, how can I get clearance on copyright on this photograph that, or this poster that he did in 1928? And I'm just like, <laughs> I couldn't care less, you know. Uh, right. Give a damn. But um, you you hated like getting this about... email <laughs> to to be on this podcast. No, no, not at all. Because you're right. Because you said at the beginning, you know, my interests are, are varied, and they are. Um, for instance, I've just written a review for a, a photography magazine called Source, uh, and it was a review of graphic novels of photographers, and mm. you know. Again, I loved it. I loved doing that and being exposed to something new and, and having to think on my feet and look at these objects and think, okay, what are they attempting to do? How are they succeeding? How are they you know, not succeeding? And so thinking critically about ideas. Um, I think another thing as well about um, my work is in the past is that it is tied up for me with a sort of questioning and a critique of ideas of status, which um, it does, it is bound up with an idea, a question of status, which I do kick back against, which is this thing of being an expert or being a, right. um, yeah. a you know, an authority, which for me, I find politically very dubious, especially if you're in a space like a university where I strongly believe that there should be a more of a democratic relationship between the staff and the students um, to the point that I feel the students should be involved in the running of a university. It shouldn't just be mm, the staff mm-hmm. and it shouldn't just be management. So yeah. so these ideas that, um, um, you know, I should take some kind of... Um, um, so just accrue some kind of status from the work I've done... I actually actively resist that and um, try and kick back against it as much as I can um, as to the point that I just couldn't give a damn about anything I've done, um, <laughs> ultimately. And it's about yeah. what's going to happen next. Right. Um, it's about what right. can we do? What, what can we engage with together? How can we create something new? How can we, re- how can we respond to this problem? And it's key, what I'm saying there is we, not me, is how we right. can respond to these issues what's going on in the world, you know, how can we engage with that visually, maybe through design, maybe through film. Um, And I'm always trying to find a way of um, creating a life like that rather, and which is hard when you're working within, when you're, it's hard when you're working within institutions um, who do, uh, you often find that there is this hierarchy and there is type of, a very formalized way of doing things and uh um so yeah 
you're talking about the, this kind of your interest in philosophy and your interest in how these things can kind of lead us to larger ideas. And I'm interested in if there's a difference or if you've seen a difference in your research and writing when you're writing about design versus something like photography and film that I will be honest, I feel like has a much richer philosophical discourse around it than design does. Um, but I don't know if that's because I am a designer and so I'm in it and I'm looking at these other things as an outsider. How do you feel about that? Or do, well, is, do, you, do you see, see a difference? Yeah, there is a difference. I mean, partly because um, the history of photography, the history of film, art history, they are older and more established fields um, than design history. And um, there, I mean, Rick Pointer uh, is sort of banged on about this um, over the past um, 20 years or more, that, and it's changed dramatically now. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it has changed dramatically, but um, for a long time, um, design history and writing critically about design almost always had to sort of justify itself in relation to studio practice. Right. There seemed to be like you know, d design theory as a, as the handmaiden of studio practice. It's about what it could deliver uh, in yeah. terms of yeah, practical yeah, yeah. outcomes. Now, you don't get that in art, art history and art theory and, and uh, film theory and film history. You don't have film theorists being questioned about, well, how does this relate to the studio? How does, relate, how does this relate to film directors' work? You know, you don't. Right. And they, there is a confidence about it. Now, I think this is a, an old debate now, and I think design theory and history has achieved that. Um, or is still maybe still achieving it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's to answer your question. It's probably partly to do with that historical um, precedent in those different fields. And there's probably more to more text to well, not probably there are there are more texts to draw on more books, um, conferences, journals, magazines. Mm -hmm. There's just a greater body of material when you come to write a work about photography or film than there is about design. Um, right. But I think in that way, it can be a positive thing because, and it's something I always say to students, is that it means that you have to go off into these different fields, whether it's economics, whether it's history, whether it's sociology. Yeah. You have to go off into these other fields and and do that type of research and then bring that back to design. Um, you know, and it, it can make for a more exciting piece of work. So maybe one of the benefits of not being so established is that design theory history is more porous it's more open mm -hmm. to influence um and it's not fully canonized uh, as in, right. in the way that maybe the history of photography and fine art and film are um which which again i think going back to my earlier point about maybe more democratic models of education and more democratic models uh, radical sort of pedagogic models within university maybe design is really well placed for that um and it can um you can really engage with um a variety of ideas in a, in a sort of radical way yeah yeah i mean i even think about a lot about how even these kind of definitions between different fields are getting blurrier and blurrier and and the kind of clear sense of what design is is it isn't as clear as it used to be and that you kind of have to be moving across different disciplines and different and different mediums now, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, when I did my book on Brodovich, I saw that in the 1920s, 
you had designers working, creating theatre sets, they were doing menu designs, right, they were doing jewellery, right. they were doing sculpture, they were doing posters, they were doing books. And obviously the, the, the language of being known as a de- designer didn't exist at that point. Right, um, right. But they were working across all these different platforms. Now, you've seen throughout the 20th century that there was an increasing sort of codification of what it meant to, meant to be a designer. But what's happening or what's happened in the sort of digital age is those um, narrow definitions of what it means to be a designer have almost gone back to the earlier 1920s idea of working across different right, areas. Right. And, you know, the merging of platforms in the digital type of sphere is enabling that and encouraging that. So we might be thinking, uh, I think there's a PhD in this, but you might be thinking <laughs> that, you know, bookmarking the sort of 1920s, 1930s, and then this sort of the 1990s as the period of the designer. And right. in a way, what's happening now is that this type of idea of this individual designer who works within these very narrow areas maybe is starting to fracture again. But I would argue that it was fractured towards the beginning, uh, yeah. specifically in the 20th century anyway, um, just in the nature of the work that commercial artists as you know, would be doing at that time was so diverse. Yeah. That's so interesting. I've never thought about it exactly like that. I've been kind of dancing around that idea for years now, and you just said it in like <laughs> two minutes, exactly the way I've been trying to think about it. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned earlier about uh, that you're kind of always interested in the new thing. What's the next thing that we can build together? Um, what's on your mind now? What are the things that you're thinking about next? Or what, where, where's your research kind of headed? Well, I'm doing a PhD. I'm coming to the end of a PhD um, at the moment on the um, work of the French philosopher Alain Badiou, and um, it's sort of the 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 whole thesis idea emerged very much out of that discussion that I mentioned earlier about what does it mean to teach history, what does it mean to practice history, what does it mean to be a historian. Um, it emerged out of those frustrations and sort of the need to think about how does the subject or how does the subject of a historian relate to its field, which can circumvent, uh, undercut notions of authority and um, and status. And I was led to Badiou's work partly because he sees he connects radical historical transformation with radical subjective transformation. So it's through the subject, and by subject, I don't necessarily mean individual, it could be the subject, it could be a crowd, it could be the masses, it could be anything uh, in that sense. And it's, um, for me, it was like, okay, how do these two areas come together where uh, a historical, radical historical change manifests itself through new forms of subjectivity. Um, and and then possibly how does that translate within to the increasingly commodified world of higher education in the UK? Um, so my research of this project now is coming towards, well, I say that, uh, PhDs <laughs> yeah, never, come yeah, to a con- never come to a conclusion. Um, they sort of just, just, you just have to stop at some point. Right. And um, so that's really where my mind my mind is a lot of the time when I'm not teaching and when I'm not doing you know reviews or things like that. Um, it's thinking about that, and it's actually had a quite 
profound um, influence on me doing this PhD over the past four years um, about how I think about my, the subject of design history, of, of uh, yeah. any historical form. It's about how does that relate to the person doing that um, type of research, that type of work. How does that feed into how you speak to people about it, how you um, position yourself and um, what do you write about, um, what you you know what becomes important and produce work is notoriously complex um because he bases a lot of his philosophical thought on mathematics and uh notions of infinity and all the rest of it um so yeah that's been occupying my mind and i've i have stepped away um from writing about design um because of that um and it's it's taking me somewhere else um and uh, and it's sort of infusing me um again I, uh, one of the one of the reasons i um turned to the phd and the subject was a frustration with doing projects for the sake of doing projects so you know yeah. i'd be someone would come to me and say oh would you like to do a book on on this photographer and um i was like and they say, we'll pay you £3,000 advance for it. And I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. You right. know, it's a freelancer's yeah. mentality. Yeah, I'll do it. And then, yeah. but what I realised after doing one book, which um, sort of fell apart a bit, um, uh, partly because I got into an argument with the photographer, um, <laughs> and it sort of fell oh. apart. Uh, and I real and my wife said to me, she says, what are you doing? You're doing these projects uh, that you don't really have a great passion for. You're doing them just because it's another book uh, and you feel like you should, oh, I've got to get, have another book, got to have another book. What book have I got going at the moment? And she said, what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, this question really bothers me, the, what I've just spoken about in terms of history. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, why don't you do that? Do a PhD in that? And um, so I've had to withdraw from the type of writing about design and go into my little uh, silo to think about these questions um, and these issues. Um, I mean, out of it will come another book, but it'll be something very different and very um, a million miles away from what I've done in the past. Um, but, but you know, if I look back and think about, um, um, you know, there's earlier projects that I did at looking at working class life and film and, uh, work with uh type of cooperatives in in the northeast and there is something of that still there in in the project and about questioning of you know yeah. relationships and you know things like that yeah i was gonna say it's it obviously is a different subject and a different kind of mode of working but it still seems very connected to a lot of the questions that, that it sounds like you've been asking for your entire career well i think it's the same isn't it it's like a it's like a you know it's like a singer songwriter and when they get to the end yeah. of their career they look back and all their songs are about the same thing you know it's right. Type of, <laughs> right. You right. Know, it's always the same subject coming back up and um just spun in different versions and um yeah so no it is and uh and it's a i mean one of the words that Badu uses in his work is he talks about fidelity and, and a fidelity to something mm. which maybe was the initial spark which was the thing that really made you want to do something and when I think back to the doing the um um a-level sociology and the that that particular um lecturer um there was a spark there of something of questioning institutions of questioning relationships and um so in a way I'm I think doing this PhD has made me realize that 
I'm just trying to stay true to this original event. Right. Right. I love that. I like, I like kind of how that has come now full circle in this conversation. Um, my last question, this is a question that I used to end all of these interviews. I'm, and you've mentioned a couple people throughout, but I'm curious if there are any books or authors or critics, historians, philosophers who have really influenced kind of how you think about all of this that we've talked about today. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, the reading... I mean, you've got to go, go back so far. I mean, um, I don't know, really. I mean, there's so many different writers. Um, gosh, that's a really hard question. Um, I mean, I, we we could we could ask it a different way, and just kind of who maybe who are you reading right now? Also, right. or well, are there any people um, that you're excited about now? Yeah, well, it's I tend to at the moment. I've recently found myself being drawn towards not necessarily authors, but particular publishers, and uh, mm -hmm. so I'll find a book at the, from a publisher. Um, so there's two publishers in the UK: one Zero Books and Repeater Books, and they're doing really this. interesting uh, publications on. Uh, popular culture, but uh, via a sort of philosophical, through a philosophical filter and looking at different issues, whether it's meme culture or whether it's, uh, you know, working remotely digitally. So a sort of, mm, you know, yeah. a digital worker and, uh, um, you know, they're, those two publishers, are, I tend to just buy stuff that they publish and just read because it's <laughs> yeah, engaging yeah. with something in a really interesting way. Uh, which and, and also it has that eclectic quality which I feel I'm drawn to. So the one I'm reading at the moment is um I'll just grab this off my desk. One second. <laughs> <laughs> See that that's bugged up the continuity for your podcast there. Um <laughs> so leave it in. Um is a book by a guy called Joe Kennedy. It's called Games Without Frontiers. So it's looking at mm. football and it's saying, you know, looking at the, is football inherently political? What does football actually mean today? Uh, looking at football through contemporary society. Um, so it's basically, and he looks at football as an example of sort of modernism uh, in the 20th century and what's happening with the sort of hyper-commercialised, commodified world that is football today, especially in the UK. And um, so it, it, it's that uh, desire to, you know, just follow particular threads. It's a sort of a wandering mind in a way. You sort of follow a particular thread uh, a particular idea and you you know it leads you somewhere interesting and then you don't know where it's going to take you where it's going to end up but um and it's right. about you know as I say to the students it's, it's just about curiosity you just got to bend down and pick it up I love that, that I feel like that's such a, a great way to to end this conversation Carrie I'm a big fan um I loved this conversation I love the way you kind of think about your work thank you so much for being on the podcast no it's okay no worries thanks for having me this episode was recorded on March 13th, 2019. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.